calling all Minute Maniacs, Second Psychos, and Epoch Enthusiasts. It's that time of year again. Hey, remember how we were going to have a great time at TimeCon 2020? (laughs) Well, as we all know, time didn't quite work out the way we expected. But let's look to the future Future. with TimeCon 2021's official product, the Everyday Q&A Page-A-Day Calendar, courtesy of our friends Jonathan Oaks of Oaks Media Group and Trivial Warfare, and our good friend Katie Sikelski of The Inkling, with questions submitted by you, the listener. Yes. So get yourself to TriviaCalendar.net, or you can go to the Oaks Media Group page, that's oaksmediastore.com, and you can get the products there. Um, and right now, there's a, a 20% discount if you pre-order. Ooh. So to get 20% off each calendar order, you can just get in there and get your discount. Great for gifts for Christmas. Oh my gosh. Or Hanukkah, or just for fun. Just you know? for fun. You should have one for your office yep. and one for your home, yes. so that when you're working from either place... <laughs> You can access your calendar. Exactly. Because unfortunately, we're still in 2020, but not for much longer. Yeah. And you won't be in 2020 when you have the Everyday Q&A 2021 trivia calendar. Pick up yours today. Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz, virtual or otherwise. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Joel. Hi, Lauren. Um, Today, I want to, I'm really excited about my topic today. (gasps) That's always the best kind of topic. Oh, it's the best kind. I just like flew through it, which is so nice. You know, we've talked about this before, but sometimes you pick a topic and And you you start reading about it. Why did I do this? (laughs) Like, I just have to finish. And it's a torture and it's the worst. And it always ends up being fine um, when we record. But the process is yeah. a lot. Dictator December was... That was a... That was tough. I uh, apologize for that, guys. By the way, Megs B on, on Twitter. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you this. We did not talk about this at a time. But she said, what about disaster December? Another uplifting thing That's for she 2020. <laughs> she was like, maybe not something that that terrible for 2020. I was like, That's I'll a- pitch it to Jewel. It's a pretty good idea. Yeah. We can put it on the... I think it's a good idea. We should put it on the list. So thanks, Megs. Yeah. I'll yeah. see what we can do with that. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff we could do with that. Anyway, so this is not a disaster. No. Um, this is also something very nice and very fun. And I didn't know a lot about this person when I started do- researching, doing research. But she sounds like an amazing person. All so right. today, I'm going to be doing an episode on Sister Rosetta Tharp, the godmother of rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time... I take great pleasure in bringing to you one of the greatest, one of the world's greatest gospel singers and guitar virtuoso, the inimitable Sister Rosetta Thorpe. I'm so excited. Oh, it's so good. She was amazing. So, um, at the top, I'm going to cite my sources. So I got a lot of this information from a documentary from the BBC called the Sto- just it's just called the story of Sister Rosetta Tharp. Um, and I mean, can, why? Yeah, why gild the lily? Exactly. You know? um, but the best part is, you know, obviously all of the people that they interviewed are American, um, but the narrator is very posh British. Um, so hearing her say things like "cotton plant Arkansas" is just mm, it's delicious. So. 
Regardless. Anyway, Sister Rosetta Tharp was born in Cotton Plant, Arkansas, to cotton-picking parents Katie Bell Newbin and Willis Atkins. Um, Sister Rosetta Tharp's birth name is unknown, okay. uh, but researchers have found that it was probably Rosether Atkins or Atkinson. Okay. Um, little is known of her father as well, except that he was a singer. Apparently, he was like this oh, incredible okay. singer. Uh, Tharp's mother, Katie, was also a singer and a mandolin player, deaconess missionary, and women speaker for the Church of God in Christ. From here on out, we'll be called Kojic. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Is it's a real, a yeah. real yeah, That's a real thing. Wow. Yeah. Church of God of, in Christ, it's you know shortened to Kojic. Uh, that was founded in 1894 by Charles Harrison Mason, who is a black Pentecostal bishop and who encouraged rhythmic musical expression, dancing in praise and allowing women to sing and teach in church. So at the time it was very progressive. Uh-huh. It was very um, musical. There's a lot of energy. So Kojic is known for that, uh, was known for that then and is known for that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so encouraged by her mother, Tharp began singing and playing the guitar as little Rosetta Newbin at the age of four and was cited as a musical prodigy. Aww. So she was great, like right off right the off bat. The so around 1921, when she was six, she had joined her mother as a regular performer in a traveling evangelical troupe. So she was billed as a singing and guitar playing miracle. And she accompanied her mother in performances that were part sermon and part gospel concert before audiences across the American South. So... In the mid-1920s, Tharp and her mother finally settled in Chicago, Illinois, where they performed religious concerts at the Roberts Temple Kojic on 40th Street, occasionally traveling to perform at church conventions throughout the country. So Rosetta developed considerable fame in this circle Mm -hmm. as a musical prodigy standing out in an era where prominent black female guitarists were rare. Okay. Yeah. So women. Yeah. Right. Like you, you didn't really see, even today, like you don't really see a lot of women casually playing Mm -hmm. guitar like i think there's more of a balance now when you see like bands that have women guitarists and it's not as much of a thing but like in the 20s this was oh for sure absolutely anathema so um she was seen from the age of 10 as basically an all-purpose musician for the kojic church so she would start playing the guitar and then someone would start up another song and she'd put her guitar down and then she would sing. And then she would go over to the piano and she'd play the piano. So she could play like a bunch of different mm-hmm. instruments. She had an incredible voice. So she was like, just, she, she was, they it. could do anything. She yeah. could do anything with her. So <clears throat> in 1934 at age 19, she married Thomas Thorpe, who was a Kojic preacher and he accompanied her and her mother on many of their tours. She would provide the music and he would preach. However, apparently he was, a tyrant. He was super old school. He had like a real caveman type attitude towards women and friends thought that he used her as a meal ticket. So Rosetta just left it. She just left all of it. Um, She did decide to adopt a version of her husband's surname as her stage name. So then she was called Sister Rosetta Tharp. And sister was something that, you know, they would call each other in the church. Right. Sister, brother, that kind of thing. So So not necessarily like a nun. No. But but more of a... a Sister or brother in a church. A term of endearment. Yes. Mm -hmm. So she left her husband and she moved with her mother to New York City. Um, And although she married several times, she performed as Rosetta Tharp for the rest of her life. So... We will be referring to her as that from here on out. So in a city full of nightclubs, her talent was soon immediately noticed, Mm -hmm. right? So she was offered a spot at the Cotton Club, which was a huge deal. Um, And unfortunately, when she got a spot at the Cotton Club, it was like a bomb went off in the (gasps) gospel community because she had gone secular, which was a big deal. Okay. 
So for them, it was like a death. Like she was their superstar. She sang gospel songs. She was, you know, performing for the church. Yeah. But then she went to like the evil New York City and like worked at nightclubs. So that was like a big deal. So on Halloween 1938, at age 23, Tharp recorded for the first time four sides for Decca Records backed by Lucky Millinder's Jazz Orchestra. Okay. She was wanted by a lot of bands and band leaders at the time, but she went with Lucky Millinder because he offered her a contract and he was a professional band leader. He was very charming. He had like a big professional band. So she went with him. Um, Essentially, they reworked gospel songs for a secular audience. Um, And someone in the documentary said the way she sang sounded like an invitation and not to the altar. Which is like, oh, watch out. So apparently it like spoke a little bit to a part of her that was rebellious a little bit. Um, she had, she's one of her first hits was this song called tall, skinny Papa, which was very like, and they play a clip of it in the documentary. And I was like, Oh my God, like this is kind of dirty. Like it's, (laughs) it's a great song, but Mm -hmm. it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so surprised for the thirties. Um, and she, she told friends that Lucky's seven year contract was written so that she had to sing whatever he wanted to. Okay. Um, and that she couldn't help it. And it's unclear how much agency she had. She was a young woman. She was black. She was the talent. He was like the brains of the operation uh-huh. kind of thing. It's not unheard of that she would be taken advantage of mm-hmm. and get like a contract where he like owned everything about her. So <clears throat> um, the first gospel songs recorded by Decca were that she sang on were Rock Me, That's All, My Man and I, and The Lonesome Road. And those were instant hits. Mm-hmm. Um, and they established her as an overnight sensation and one of the first commercially successful gospel recording artists. So Rock Me was especially influential. Um, Her records caused an immediate furor. Many churchgoers were shocked by the mixture of gospel-based lyrics and secular-sounding music, but secular audiences loved them. Mm -hmm. They thought it was amazing. So she she would perform these songs alongside blues and jazz musicians and dancers, um, which was unusual. And in conservative religious circles, a woman playing the guitar in such settings was frowned upon. Okay. So she fell, she kind of fell out of favor with segments of the gospel community. So this was like a big divide Mm -hmm. in her career kind of thing. Also during this time, masculinity was directly linked to guitar skills. So she was often offered the backhanded compliment that she could play like a man, which was like compliments like that. Yeah. It's fun. Um, so she would she would do guitar battles at the Apollo. Like men would play against her, and she would like she was amazing at the guitar. Like it's ama- it's incredible. The documentary I highly recommend it. You should watch it. Just watching her play is incredible. Um, however, eventually church people got over it, um, right? And she had fans in both worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would play with the biggest musical stars of the day, and she established herself in a tough male dominated world and sang songs that she chose to play in her own distinctive style. So this was after she got out of Lucky Millinder's um, contract. contract. She was rich, she was famous, and she was absolutely adored by her fans. Um, she was gospel's first superstar. And she spent most of her time on the road in the 40s playing to packed houses. And a lot of times she would invite gospel quartets and groups to tour with her, um, including this band called the Jordanaires. Okay. So at the time, it was taboo for black and white musical groups to perform together. However, Rosetta was happy to divide convention. As it turns out, the Jordanaires are four white boys from the South, and she called them her four little white babies. <laughs> And they loved her. Um, they like 
they they loved her. They, uh-huh. She was like, she was a little bit older than them. They were like just out of high school and she took really good care of them. Um, and they took care of her and we'll talk about that in a second. But also segregated black soldiers in World War II also just absolutely loved her. They saw her as one of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and she also, not for nothing, had an incredible stage presence. Like she was charming and funny and just like really off the cuff and could sing like nobody's business and played the guitar like crazy and people just loved her. So the biggest hit in her career was a song called There Are Strange Things Happening Every Day. And this was the first gospel song to appear on the Billboard magazine Harlem Hit Parade. This 1944 record has been called the first rock and roll record. Um, It also expressed some of the sad ironies that she was experiencing on the road. She was a star. She was like a superstar, Mm -hmm. but she was also black. And so in the Jim Crow South, she couldn't stay in some hotels. Um, She couldn't go into some restaurants. So she often had a bus. She would, she decked out this bus with beds in the back so that she could, like if she couldn't find a hotel to sleep in Mm -hmm. her and her, you know, whoever she had with her, they had to sleep in the bus. So, and sometimes they would they were met with opposition and that she wouldn't get to eat. So the Jared Jordanaires would say that, you know, they would go out to eat and she would have like peanut butter and jelly in the bus. Aww. So they would go in and order food for her and then they would bring it out to her because okay. she wasn't allowed to eat in there. Um, and some people would be quote unquote nice and tell them to come around to the back door and they would give them food, Aww. but they couldn't stay. They couldn't stay and eat, which is like to think about that is like insane, but um, she had two short-lived marriages, but had numerous affairs with both men and women. Uh, her constant in her life was still her mother. Like her mother stayed mm-hmm. by her side her entire life. Um, in 1946, Tharp saw Marie Knight perform at a Mahalia Jackson concert in New York, and Tharp recognized a special talent in Knight. And two weeks later, Tharp showed up at Knight's doorstep, inviting her to go on the road. Okay. Their situation was unique in that they were two women who could go on the road by themselves without any accompaniment. So they didn't need a backing band because Marie could play the piano and percussion, uh, and Rosetta Rosetta could play the guitar and the piano and could sing, so they didn't need a band. All right. And they toured the gospel circuit for a number of years, during which they recorded hits such as Up Above My Head and Gospel Train. And this was, it was risky and also novel of them to be traveling together by themselves. Uh Um, And they were also lovers. Mm -hmm. They were, according to many of their friends at the time, and this was an open secret in their community. Mm -hmm. And because it was an open secret in their community and because Rosetta seemed to like do what she wanted, she was really just very open about her decisions it seemed like her mother must have known about that relationship and must have not really had an issue with it all right which is kind of great so starting in 1949 their popularity kind of took a sudden downturn so there's a couple of reasons for this um but unfortunately marie knight lost her children and her mother in a house fire so she then stopped touring because of her grief and then they soon drifted apart and they broke up in that year so it was very very sad but after their breakup two concert promoters came up with an audacious publicity stunt that Rosetta agreed to she was into it okay so they decided what if we staged Rosetta's third wedding in Washington's Griffith Stadium she could get married (laughs) on the pitcher's mound all right so they would sell tickets to her fans and they would sell the recording rights to Decca Records. Um, but there was only one problem. She didn't really have anyone in mind to marry. <laughs> she didn't have, she wasn't dating anybody. 
<laughs> but they were like, we'll figure it out. So just weeks before the day, she met this guy named Russell Morrison. So he generously offered to be her third husband and her manager. So in 1951, 20,000 people came out and paid admission to see the ceremony and a concert by her afterwards. Wow. Followed by fireworks. Mm-hmm. So this was like... Oh, great. Yeah, it sounds like... A whole the, day out. Yeah, it's great. Um, it was packed. People uh-huh. were like standing in the, the sidelines. Um, people brought wedding gifts for her. They brought a crystal. <laughs> Someone bought her a TV set. All sorts of things. It's really cool. And it was a real wedding ceremony. Like it was legit. Top to bottom. Um, apparently it was a great show. Her friend Roxy Moore didn't attend. Roxy Moore was... Um, she was in a couple of the gospel quartets that she would okay. tour with and they became very, very close. Um, so Roxy said she thought this was just another thing that sister got into and that Russell was using her for fame. Uh Uh, unfortunately that ended up being true. Russell just took over. He wasn't a very good manager, although he thought he was, which is the worst kind of person. (laughs) And it was very clear he was living off of her talent and two timing her. So like insult to injury. (sighs) So her friends, including Marie Knight were furious with him that he was taking advantage of her. Uh, but nevertheless, she stayed married to him for the next 22 years. Oof. So who knows why? They got something out of it. So um, so meanwhile, this is the early 50s. Young white musicians are starting to notice the energy and sound of Mississippi Delta gospel music, mm-hmm. specifically in the Kojic Church. So uh, including Elvis... Sure. Presley, uh, they would go to these, <laughs> you've heard of him. Uh, him and his friends would go to these churches on Sunday night and watch these gospel singers and musicians perform. So of course this was the music that sister Rosetta brought out of the church and into the wider world nearly 20 years earlier. Mm-hmm. So she was already pioneering it, but these guys are like, Oh, oh right. no, we got to go to the source like that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so this kind of music brought feeling guts and real soul into pop music. Right. Okay. So Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Buddy Holly, and others saw this and adapted to it. And this was the soul of rock and roll. So this was like the beginnings of rock and roll. Um, And she also gave a lot of people ideas about how to perform. Uh, She was inspirational. And often we don't think about the middle-aged black woman behind the young white man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, rock and roll was based in, in... black culture and the mm-hmm. black church. And then these white handsome white guys came in and were like, oh, thank you very much. And then they Look became at my hips. Yeah, exactly. And my pompadour. Apparently Elvis used to like watch her perform, watch Rosetta Tharp perform and be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to dance like that. Or like, Elvis. I'm going to play the guitar like that. Like it's literally like a one-to-one. So by the late fifties, when rock and roll was firmly established with white men taking over bookings were drying up for sister Rosetta yeah. of course so she and Russell and her aging mother were forced to move into a small row house in Philadelphia the, the worst, worst city <laughs> to move into I knew you were gonna say that after Cleveland yeah <laughs> so part of the reason why she had to do this was because she was starting to lose her appeal because she wasn't keeping up with the times. So okay. she was still singing the songs that she recorded in the thirties. All right. Yeah. And she didn't really update her set list. So she was basically at this point in an oldies act. Mm. However, in 1957, Chris Barber, a British Dixieland trombonist. Those are three words. I right. hear a lot. Uh, he booked her to tour with him and his band in Europe for a month. Cause he had heard of her and he had seen, you know, films of her performing. And he was like, we got to get this lady. So he said, 
she and her guitar were as good by themselves as his entire band. And they were like totally okay with that. We were like, they were like, great. They loved her. They loved it. Mm -hmm. So essentially she was basically booked as a novelty act at first, but she totally stole the show and they, they put her out on stage as much as they possibly could. So the reason why, part of the reason why she was so popular was because up to this point, European audiences had only seen white imitation of blues and gospel. Uh, they never saw the real thing. Exactly. But for the first time on stage, they're seeing the real thing. So she got like a second coming of her career. She got the attention of bookers across Europe and she enjoyed a real rebirth of her stardom. So by the early sixties, her influence was beginning to spread as yet another generation discovered her, which is just incredible. Uh, Bob Dylan specifically was absolutely enraptured oh, by her. Okay. He called her, quote, a big, good-looking woman, which is just like, Bob, come on. <laughs> like, Bob, come on, Bob. Like, really? Your your adjectives could use some work. Yeah. You won a Nobel Prize. Yeah. Come on, man. Let's <laughs> let think about this first. So this was really cool. In April and May of 1964, Tharp toured Europe as part of the blues and gospel caravan alongside Muddy Waters and Otis Spann, Ransom Noling, and Little Willie Smith, Reverend Gary Davis, Cousin Joe, Sonny Terry, and Brownie McGee. So all of these like legends of rhythm and blues mm-hmm. are touring Europe. So in Manchester, they performed at a train station with the musicians on one platform and the audience on the other. <laughs> And there's like trains. How like, British is that? I know. It's like the most British thing ever. So there's like trains running through uh-huh. and they had to like stop for the trains. Anyway, she was almost 50 at this point. She was 49 years yeah. old. And she had been on the road at this point for at least 40 of those years. She had oh just been gosh. touring constantly yeah. as long as she's been alive, basically. This performance was amazing. It was recorded for Granada Television at the time. So you okay. can like probably like honestly bring it up on YouTube. Uh-huh. She shows up in a horse-drawn carriage. <laughs> in a white wool swing coat covered in rhinestones and she's wearing like super high heels. She gets off and she's already mic'd up. Uh So this guy's like helping her down. She's like, oh, horsey. Okay. Like you can tell that it wasn't her idea to come (laughs) on his. And she was like, oh, it's so, I'm so happy to be here. And people were like clapping. Yay. And she's like, oh yeah, thanks everybody. And she just pulls her guitar like out of a basket that's next to her. And she's like, what's the key? And they like give her a key. The band gives her the key. And then she's like, I'm going to play you a little song. And then just like, tears it up just tears it up and it, oh and it's raining and it's raining <laughs> oh <laughs> she's like i'm gonna play you a little song that you sing uh down in the mississippi delta and people are like losing their minds so in 1968 her mother katie bell died um she was she's the, been hanging on for a long time she had been hanging on for a very long time bless katie bell she was the one constant figure in rosetta's mm-hmm. life So this loss took a heavy toll on her and she became increasingly depressed. And then she was diagnosed with diabetes. However, she continued to tour in Europe, even though her health was failing. And the last recording of her, uh, like, like, um, camera recording of Uh her was in 1970 in Copenhagen. All right. And in, they, they play a clip from it and she comes out on stage and she's like, um, you know, when somebody loves you unconditionally and someone like your mother and I lost my mother two years ago and this song is for my mother and she plays the song. It's beautiful. Um, then she had to have her leg amputated from from diabetes, oh, which was boy. really bad. And even then, she was bedridden, and she was planning when she could get back on the road. She was like, "When I when my leg heals up, I'm well, going to get back the on the road." Well, because the alternative was Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. So, but then she had a stroke, oh. and then she couldn't get back out. So on October 9th, nineteen seventy three. 
on the eve of a scheduled recording session, she died in Philadelphia as a result of another stroke. Wow. Um, her funeral was apparently very quiet. The church was only half full. Mm. There was only like, you know, certain select people. Marie Knight made her up for her casket. She did her hair. She picked out her clothes. She did her makeup. Um, and she made her as glamorous as possible. Mm. And she was buried at Northwood Cemetery in Philadelphia. And the governor of Pennsylvania made January 11th Sister Rosetta Tharp Day. So her influence um, was huge. So little Richard referred to the stomping, shouting gospel music performer as his favorite singer when he was a child. And in 1947, she heard little Richard sing before her concert at the Macon city auditorium and later invited him on stage to sing with her. And it was his first public performance outside of the church. So following the show, then she paid him for his performance, which inspired him to become a performer. He was like, Oh, I can get paid for this. When Johnny Cash gave his induction speech at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he referred to Rosetta Tharp as his favorite singer when he was a child. And his daughter, Roseanne Cash, stated in an interview with Larry King that Tharp was her father's favorite singer. Um, Rosetta began recording with electric guitar in the 1940s with That's All, which has been cited as the influence on Chuck Berry and Elvis Presley, as mentioned before. Other musicians, including Aretha Franklin, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Isaac Hayes, has identified her singing, guitar playing, and showmanship as an important influence on them. And she was held in particularly high esteem by um, UK jazz blues singer George Melly. Tina Turner credits Tharp, along with Mahalia Jackson, as an early musical influence. And such diverse performers as Meatloaf, Neil Sedaka, and Karen Carpenter have attested to the influence of Tharp in the rhythmic energy she emanated in her performances. Everyone's favorite gospel singer, Meatloaf. (laughs) Meatloaf. I mean, he does have like a real powerful energy. I mean, you are a Meatloaf apologist, I think. I am a Meatloaf apologist because you know what? I love maximalism in my music. I love a baroque key change. I love a powerful like, you know, melasma, you know? I love some like and now I'm going up again. We're going to be up here for a little while. You know, like I I like that. I like Rolling Thunder. I like Crashes. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> Rock and roll, baby. Go big or go home. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Rosetta Tharp. <clears throat> yep. This is sad. This is sad. Oh, yeah, but- On joint... <laughs> Sorry. On well, June she's 20- already dead. No, How much sadder can well, it get? Well, it gets worse. On June what? 20... 20- I know. I'm sorry. On June 25th, 2019, the New York Times Magazine listed Sister Rosetta Tharp among hundreds of artists whose material was destroyed in the 2008 Universal Fire. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, that was really bad. I can't believe and then talking. everybody lied about it. Yeah, uh, they lied about it for 10 years. Uh, oh, it was a nightmare. Anyway, thankfully, she finally got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. On October 5th, 2017, Tharp was listed as a nominee for the 2018 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions. And on December 13th, 2017, she was elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an early influence, woefully late, in my opinion. Alabama Shakes performed her song, That's All, at the ceremony, and lead singer and guitarist Brittany (laughs) Howard absolutely eats up the performance and leaves no crumbs. Like, she is incredible. Also, Brittany Howard, amazing voice, incredible Mm -hmm. guitarist. She also fronts a band called Thunder Bitch, which is easily one of the greatest names for a band. I didn't know about Thunder Bitch. I didn't either. It, they rarely perform live, apparently. Thunder Bitch is under, underground, apparently. They're too <clears throat> powerful. They're too powerful. For this world. <laughs> I would think so. 
Uh, And in closing, I'm going to end with a quote from Roxy Moore, her friend Roxy Moore, what she said at her funeral. She would sing until you cried, and then she would sing until you danced for joy. She kept the church alive and the saints rejoicing. So that was Sister Rosetta Tharp. Oh, what an awesome lady. Oh, she was amazing. Again, I highly recommend, please see if you can find that documentary. It's phenomenal. Yeah, I was wondering why you started with saying it was from the BBC, and then it kind of made sense later. Yeah, Yeah. makes sense. Because they focused a lot on that concert and her traveling through Mm -hmm. the UK and that kind of thing. So So my quiz today is called Mothers of Rock and Roll, a quiz on women in rock. Question number one. I got this wrong when I was reviewing for the Buffalo News, and boy, did our readers really let me have it. Of the two Wilson sisters in heart, who sings and who plays the guitar? Question number two. Noelle Skaggs is one-sixth of this long-running retro band with co-lead vocalist Michael Fitzpatrick. While the group blends a number of genres, listeners can hear the deep influence of 60s and 80s pop and soul, reminiscent of the Friends of Distinction and Hall & Oates. Since their formation, the group has released four albums, including 2010's Picking Up the Pieces and 2013's More Than Just a Dream. Name this band. Question number three. Joan Jett has had a long and storied career in rock and in the 90s began producing for several bands, including Circus Lupus and the influential girl punk band Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill, under Joan's influence, became the representative band of this underground feminist punk movement, whose moniker has a distinct lack of vowels. What is this rock movement? Question number four. Wicked Wisdom is a new metal band fronted by a very famous woman with three names that you and I definitely know, thanks to the greatest movie ever made. She formed the band in 2002 in Los Angeles and later reformed it under the name Wicked Evolution. Who is this beautiful lead singer? Question number five. Chrissy Hind was the lead singer of this influential 80s and 90s band whose hit singles included Brass and Pocket, Back on the Chain Gang, and Don't Get Me Wrong, along with one of the greatest rock songs of all time, 1994's I'll Stand By You. They were supposed to tour with Journey this year, but, well, you know. What is this band with imposter syndrome? Question number six. This kawaii metal band consisting of adorable Japanese girls sounds like a joke, but they're a widely popular combo of J-pop and metal, which has spawned many imitators, including Lady Baby, Iron Bunny, and Dolls Box. Don't think too hard. What is the portmanteau name of this band of childlike rockers? Question number seven. This lead singer of Jefferson Airplane and later Jefferson Starship is considered one of the greatest voices in rock, period, regardless of gender. She also outpartied her male contemporaries and she has been open about her struggles with drug use. Who is this glossy lady? Question number eight. This now icon sang and danced, backed up by the Iquettes. She was married to her mentor, and although he helped make her famous, he also abused her terribly. She spent half of her life on the road with their review until she finally decided she'd had enough. She went out on her own and finally released a best-selling solo album. She's now a legend in a class by herself. Name this lady. Question number nine. The stage name of musical artist Annie Clark, this one-woman act began as a member of Sufjan Stevens' touring band before striking out on her own and releasing six albums so far, including one with David Byrne called Love This Giant. She is best known for her singles Birth in Reverse and Digital Witness, and her stage name is from a Nick Cave song and not an island in the Caribbean. Who is this rock act? 
And finally, question number 10. This is probably my hardest one that I've ever made. I'm going to name four alter egos, and you're going to tell me if they're a punk rock artist or a drag queen. Number one, Lorna Doom. Number two, Polly Styrene. Number three, Fina Barbatal. Number four, Becky Bondage. I'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be back with your answers. the words that I'm singing, smudge my soul with water from on high, while the world of love is around me, evil thoughts do bite, oh, if you leave me, I will die, you just hide me in novels and tell us time the life is over, Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll okay. see how this goes. Maybe right. things will just come to me. Okay. Question number one. I got this wrong when I was reviewing it for the Buffalo News, and boy, did our readers let me have it. Of the two Wilson sisters in heart, who sings and who plays the guitar? All right. So it's Anne and Nancy Wilson. Yes. I'm going to say that Anne is the singer. Yes. And Nancy, Nancy is plays the guitar. Guitar. Exactly. Um, Heart is wonderful. I got it wrong in the Buffalo News, and I got so many emails. I got almost as many emails as when I gave a local band of an extremely bad review, and their fans tore me to pieces. Oh. It was not great. It kind of turned me off of journalism, which journalism's dead anyway, so totally okay. Anyway. <laughs> print journalism. Print journalism. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Question number two. Noelle Skaggs is one-sixth of this long-running retro band with co-lead vocalist Michael Fitzpatrick. While the group blends a number of genres, listeners can hear the deep influence of 60s and 80s pop and soul. Since their formation, the group has released four albums, including 2010's Picking Up the Pieces and 2013's More Than Just a Dream. Name this band. Is this Fits in the Tantrums? It is Fits in the Tantrums. I saw them. I had no idea. Oh, yeah? Where this... I was like, Skaggs. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know anybody with that last name except Boss Gags yeah. from uh, uh is that a smoke is that a spooky in the bandit reference? Oh, I have no idea. Probably, <laughs> right? That sounds right. <laughs> I don't know. Uh anyway, yeah, Noel Skag. She's the co-lead okay. singer. She's got an incredible voice. I saw them live in like 2013 at a free concert down on the waterfront in Buffalo mm-hmm. with Victoria. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. There was a guy there with a parrot. I took a picture. I'll post it. Anyway. You know what? I saw a guy with a parrot. 
Yeah, at a gas station in, in West Virginia. Virginia. Yeah. And I almost said, are you in Buffalo right now? Because I know that guy. Well, I don't know him, but I got to pet his parrot. That parrot's definitely still alive. They live like 40 years. Yeah. I don't know if the guy's still alive, though. He looked rough. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number three. <clears throat> Joan Jett has had a long and storied career in rock and in the 90s began producing for several bands, including Circus Lupus and the influential girl punk band Bikini Kill. Bikini Kill, under Joan's influence, became the representative band of this underground feminist punk movement whose moniker has a distinct lack of vowels. What is this rock movement? Is that right? Girl. It is right, girl. How many R's are there? There are three R's okay. in Riot Girl. I had to make sure that I got that right. <laughs> three R's in Riot Girl and no I. Okay, question number four. Wicked Wisdom is a new metal band fronted by a very famous woman with three names that you and I definitely know thanks to the greatest movie ever made. She formed the band in 2002 in Los Angeles and later reformed it under the name Wicked Evolution. Who is this beautiful lead singer? Well, okay. We have two greatest movies ever made. Okay. It's Magic Mike XXL mm-hmm. and Ocean's 8. Okay. Um it's it's I'm going to give you the hint that it's Magic Mike okay. XXL I'm thinking of. All right. So a lady singer with three names from Magic Mike XXL. And I am just I'm completely blanked. It's Jada Pinkett Smith. Oh. Yeah, she is the lead singer of Wicked Wisdom. She is into metal music. I think I like vaguely knew she was in a band, but yeah. haven't heard about it lately. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, how often do we listen to new metal? But yeah. Not often. Is that new with the just a U? Just a U and an umlaut? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. Something learn something new every day. I did not uh, get a chance to partake in any of the music, but they played at Ozfest and apparently Ozzy Osbourne is a huge fan. So you heard it here, folks. It means something. Question number five. Chrissy Hind was the lead singer of this influential eighties band whose hit singles include Brass and Pocket, Back on the Chain Gang, and Don't Get Me Wrong, along with one of the greatest rock songs of all time, 1994's I'll Stand By You. They were supposed to tour with Journey this year, but well, you know, what is this band with imposter syndrome? The Pretenders? It is The Pretenders. Apparently, one of my favorite Pretender songs is Brass and Pocket. And apparently, Chrissy Hind hated that song so oh. much. She told the producers that it, they would release it over her dead body. Oh, my. She said, I never thought it was that great. Was it pop, Motown, rock? It didn't seem to know what it was. I used to cringe when I heard my voice on those early Pretenders recordings. And then that fucker went to number one. I remember walking around Oxford Circus hearing it blasting out of people's radios. I was mortified. <laughs> I'm sure that happens all the time. Oh my God, though, right? I'm sure it happens like, all the time. People are like, ugh, that song they put <laughs> out, like the single that the record label chose yeah. is like, like oh, I hate really it. Wanted. It's not my favorite. It's not the best. Yeah. And then they just hear it all the time. People, mm-hmm. it goes crazy. Well, The Pretenders was interesting because she was the American front woman of a mostly British band okay. of men. Okay. So Brass and Pocket has a weird mix of like American slang and like British slang. Okay. Um, and so they spent a lot of time in the UK because that's where like they recorded and stuff. So it was just kind of strange. Like that mix was, uh, people liked it. Okay. Question number six, this kawaii metal band consisting of adorable Japanese girls sounds like a joke, but they're a widely, <laughs> Julia's shaking her head, but they're a widely popular combo of J-pop and metal, which has spawned many imitators, including Lady Baby, Iron Bunny, and Dolls Box. Don't think too hard. What is the portmanteau name of this band of childlike rockers? 
baby rock. Oh, you're so close, actually. <laughs> They're called baby metal. Baby metal. All one word. Uh, I saw them perform what? Uh, Josh has written, that's not a portmanteau. It's two words put together. Is it one word? It is one word. That's a portmanteau, that's man. That's a portmanteau, my good dude. Google portmanteau. I saw them. <laughs> you I, saw them? I, well, I saw them perform on Late Night with Stephen okay. Colbert a couple years ago. And it was so insane that I actually stopped dead in my tracks and like froze for the full like three minutes and 30 second performance. It's it's out of control. I froze in shock, fr- frankly. But instead of baby metal, I'm going to be talking a little bit about deadlift Lolita. Okay. So. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Richard Magary, a.k.a. Ladybeard is a cross-dressing Australian wrestler and singer who performs in kawaii outfits and is pretty popular in Asia. His musical style is described as kawaii core, and his motto is sing, dance, destroy. So in 2017, he created a new group called Deadlift Lolita with bodybuilding model and wrestler Rika Psyche, and their first single was called Six Pack Twins. <laughs> it's just a world I'm never... It, I'm never going to understand. No, but it's just fascinating. And you know what? Like, he is adorable. Like, he doesn't, he's not cross-dressing because he's trying to, like, mm-hmm. because he's doing so. He's been cross-dressing since he was, like, four. Mm-hmm. Like, he just likes women's clothing, which is legit. Yeah. So he, like, wrestles in women's clothing. He, like, performs music in women's clothing. He's super popular in Japan. Like, and he's just, like, this huge Australian guy <laughs> with a beard. It's yeah. amazing. It's incredible. Ugh. Bless him. Anyway, question number seven. This lead singer of Jefferson Airplane and later Jefferson Starship is considered one of the greatest voices in rock, period, regardless of gender. She also outpartied her male contemporaries and has been open about her struggles with drug use. Who is this glossy lady? I don't know. That's Grace Slick. Oh, I didn't know she was a singer. Yeah. Um, she's, do you know how old Grace Slick is? Grace Slick is 80. Grace Slick is 80 years old. She also tried to slip Nixon a Mickey. I'm going to tell you the story. So apparently Nixon's daughter, Trisha, and Grace are both alumni of Finch College. So Grace was invited to a tea party for the alumni at the White House in 1969. She decided to invite anarchist Abby Hoffman to be her escort, and she planned to spike President Nixon's tea with 600 micrograms of LSD. But the party- Is that a lot? I, I mean, I think any amount of LSD is probably too much for someone who probably has never touched, you know, anything besides Milky Ways in his life. Um, however, the party had been built in, as an all ladies event. So Hoffman's oh, so presence. Hoffman couldn't go. Yeah. Hoffman's presence in the waiting line immediately aroused the suspicions of White House security personnel. And he claimed to be Slick's bodyguard and escort, which failed to convince them, who told him that the event was strictly for females. So then he took out a black flag with a multicolored marijuana leaf and hung it on the White House gate. And then Grace decided she wasn't going to go <laughs> since Abby wasn't coming in. So the two ran across the street to a waiting car. And then Grace Slick later speculated that she only received the invitation because it was addressed to Grace Wing, which was her maiden name, (laughs) and that she would have never been invited if they had known that she was Grace Slick of Jefferson Airplane. So that's amazing. Question number eight. This now icon sang and danced, backed by the Iquettes. She was married to her mentor, and although he helped make her famous, he also abused her terribly. She spent half of her life on the road with their review until she finally decided that she'd had enough. She went out on her own and finally released a best-selling solo album. She's now a legend in a class by herself. Name this lady. That's 
Miss Tina Turner. It is Miss Tina Turner. She was also in Mad Max Thunderdome, which is my favorite uh, incarnation of the previous Mad Maxes with Mel Gibson. She also sang the credit song, which is called Thunderdome, um, which I often sing around my house um, at any given time, just as an FYI. (laughs) We don't need another hero. It's so good. And then there's like a there's like a child chorus towards the end to like oh, really see, build. I hate a child chorus. Oh, see, I, well, is it you that hates whistling in music too? No, you hate saxophone. I hate it. I hate a saxophone hate solo, a saxophone. and I hate a surprise children's chorus. Oh, okay, I hate whistling. I hate any kind of like like charming whistliness. I hate it. Fuck out of here. That's not an instrument. Sing or play an instrument. There's nothing in the middle. Don't purse your lips and blow. I'm tired of it. (laughs) Anyway, that's how I feel about whistling and music. Question number nine. The stage name of musical artist Annie Clark, this one-woman act began as a member of Sufjan Stevens' touring band before striking out on her own and releasing six albums so far, including one with David Byrne called Love This Giant. She is best known for her singles Birth in Reverse and Digital Witness, and her stage name is from a Nick Cave song and not an island in the Caribbean. Who is this rock act? St. Vincent. It is St. Vincent. Um, the reference of the Nick Cave song is to the line, and Dylan Thomas died drunk in St. Vincent's Hospital from the Nick Cave song, There She Goes, My Beautiful World. The name is also a reference That's to... That's a really deep cut. I know. You know well, I mean? <laughs> people who like Nick Cave really like Nick Cave. You know what I mean? Like, well, uh, um, I decided to name my car Chocolate Chip because one time... <laughs> Somebody said the line, I would like a chocolate chip cookie. And I was like, that would be a great name for a car. Yeah. Um, the name is also a reference to her great grandmother, whose middle name was St. Vincent. Oh, so okay. that makes a, that little, makes more a little more sense. Yeah. Okay. Question Ugh. number 10. Yeah, I'm the so hardest, bad at these. I'm the hardest so one I've these. ever made. Uh-huh. I'm going to name four alter egos. You're just going to tell me punk rock. They're all women, by the way. Okay. Or a drag queen. Okay. Number one, Lorna Doom. Punk rock. Yes. She was guitarist in the band Germs. Number two, polystyrene. Drag queen. No, punk. Uh, she was the front woman for X-Ray Specs. Number three, Fina Barbatal. Drag queen. It is. A, she was a Boston drag queen. She is a Boston drag queen. She's not dead. She's very much alive. And number four, Becky Bondage. Punk. Yes. She's okay. the lead singer and guitarist of the band Vice Squad. Good job, That's Joel. Fun. That was pretty good. That's fun. Good. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Well, the, yeah. What a celebration of of women in music this right? was. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really wanted to get that out there. A lot of fun, great ladies, and all of them have Miss Sister Rosetta Tharp to thank for all of that. So, That's as well wonderful. as every other dude in music. That's wonderful. Yeah, we'll link to to performances that yes. you can find. Absolutely, I'll link to. Um, yeah, I will definitely link to performances because she's, you have to see her perform because she's just so like natural. You can tell mm-hmm. she's been on stage her whole life. She's really charming and she just plays like, she's just a dream. Incredible. Yeah. And her voice is amazing. So highly recommend. So um, yeah, this was a short one, but I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we're going to, you know, keep doing what we're doing. Hope you guys are hanging in there and doing okay. And uh, it's very funny. Like, so when we did like a whole big bulk recording this spring mm-hmm. so that I could go on podcast maternity leave, <laughs> which I appreciated again. Um, it's just really funny when people are like, yeah, so I'm listening to this episode in August <laughs> and you guys are like, it's March. 
Yeah. Like hope, hope everybody's been fine inside for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then it's like, but yeah, it's on and it's sad to hear. It's, yeah. <laughs> well, also not for nothing. Like we already have a hard time remembering what we said in last week's episode. Yeah. Because once we, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but as soon as we get it out, as soon as we finish talking about the topic, it leaves at least my brain completely. It's gone. Everything I've said, it's gone. So when people are like, oh my God, that episode from like last year when you said this, and I'm always like, ah, yeah, I'm hilarious. Like, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't remember. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. I don't. It's no, no offense to anybody. Oh, absolutely Here, not. I'm just, so glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. But like, you remember... Because, you know, like you just heard it. We just push it out and then forget it. We have too much stuff. We have too much stuff in our brains. So, but um, thank you so much for listening, guys. <laughs> if that wasn't made clear. If that wasn't made abundantly clear. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much for sending us lovely emails and tweets and everything for just being like, oh, God, that was so great. Or like, I didn't know about this person. So um, it's always nice to hear. And uh, yeah, just thanks for being supportive and cool. We totally appreciate our listeners. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.